Welcome to Spinning Out. I'm your host, Josh Robbins. This is a podcast where we talk to guests about their favorite albums. Today we're talking with Maxwell Stern of the band Signals with West. We talked about Jess Brazil's final album, Perfecting Loneliness. We also talk about Jawbreaker vs. Jets Brazil and about writing tropes and how cliches can be a good thing. As you'll hear, Max has a lot of new music coming out this year and also recently released. So listen to the episode and jot down all of it and buy it when it drops. Don't forget to check out our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash spinningoutpod. Follow us on social media, Twitter and Instagram, and all of those things. Okay, let's chat with Max. Hey Max, how's it going? Good. Nice to see you. Good to see you again. I guess it's it was the end of October. Uh, this thing called Fest, and we said hello to each other probably a couple times through the weekend. It's always such a blur. Just like, <laughs> hey, here's everyone you've ever met through yeah. playing music, uh, coupled with a year and a half of like pandemic screen glaze, mm-hmm. and then. Uh, that sounded kind of gross, but just, you know, it's just, just like weird, like haze of, of seeing everybody mm-hmm. virtually and then all of a sudden being thrust back into this environment where it's like, are we okay? Is this okay that we're doing this? And I guess yeah. it kind of was. It sort of was. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I know a couple of people who definitely got COVID at Fest, but so it goes. Yeah. I didn't hear much about it. I think that was good maybe i just didn't look <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah yeah i feel like after every other fest i saw a bunch of accounts of it but i didn't hear that much about fest i think because they were pretty tight so i felt pretty good but you know you're really just still obviously just rolling the dice anytime yeah. you decide to every, leave your house everything's a gamble <laughs> yeah but okay so we are talking about jets to brazil their album perfecting loneliness uh it's their third album it was recorded by Jay Robbins, and it came out on Jade Tree Records. And so what I'll ask is, when was the first time you heard Jester Brazil or this album specifically? Great question. Um, so the first time I heard the name Jester Brazil, uh, I used to work at a club in Cleveland called The Grog Shop, mm-hmm. and it's like my favorite venue in the world. And... Blake was touring and I think he was like doing some solo touring uh, and someone told, and I, I was like working the show or something like that. And mm-hmm. someone was like, don't talk to him about Jawbreaker. And I was like, okay, I wasn't going to. And they were like, yeah, but you can talk to him about Jets to Brazil all you want. And I was like, I don't even know what that is, but cool. I was like, you know, 19 or something like that yeah um, he ended up being a pretty nice guy we interacted a little bit i remember him setting up a computer in the green room that like just had a jets record on it because he was like going through and like putting a dj set together or something and like he was talking about how he didn't have any audio on his computer and then there was just like a bunch of outcast records 
and then like a Jets to Brazil record on there or something. Um, I hope I'm remembering that correctly. But that was the first time I heard about it. And then I still like didn't listen to it for a while. Um, and then I think it was my friend Tom Kelly in the band Broadcaster from Long Island who might have put me on to them a little bit. Um, and I sort of listened backwards. Like I listened to this Perfecting Loneliness record first and mm. then I did Four Cornered Night and then I did Orange Rhyming. So I went in the opposite direction of how I think a lot of people experienced this band was, which was, you know, in the correct order of albums. Um, and I remember really getting into them on like the summer of 2013 where I was like coming off like, you know, my big college breakup and like listening yeah. to this and just like freaking out in the back of a minivan somewhere in in North Carolina. Actually, I remember we were in North Carolina uh, for the listeners. Uh, the host here is located in North Carolina. Yeah. Great, great state. Uh, and I remember it really hitting me super hard, um, particularly like the slower, prettier songs, which I think we'll get into. But, um, you know, when you're in like a, a wounded state, you know, and you hear a song like, you know, Lucky Charm or something like that, uh, where, you know, it's this this plea for like forgiveness and acceptance and like, you know, romantic mending. You're like, oh man, it's about it's about me. It's totally yeah. about me. Um and I identified with it super hard. So yeah, I mean it's been now almost a decade of enjoying this record, but I suppose that it came out a decade before that, so I was a little late. Yeah. Yeah, I was definitely uh late on getting into it as well. Um did were you are you a big Jawbreaker fan? So, Jawbreaker was one of those bands that I didn't get into the same way everybody else did. I feel like yeah, the narrative with with Jawbreaker and Jets is like, you know, they Jawbreaker has this whole career and this meteoric rise and then fall from grace with the major label thing and dear you um and then, you know, Jets comes he Blake moves to the East Coast and then Jets happens. Um but I got into him backwards. I like yeah. knew that Jawbreaker was a band, but I never really knew anything besides the song Boxcar. Mm-hmm. And then I really got into Jets and I was like, oh, I should like go back into Jawbreaker and like see what was going on there. Um and it's funny because like you can really hear, especially on like the last song of Dear You, I forget what it's called, but it's this kind of like almost acoustic, like bonus style looking song or a bonus bonus track style song. And uh, I listen back to it now and I'm like, oh, this is just a preamble to what he's going to do for Jets. Uh, and it totally is, because if you listen to that song and you go to Orange Rhyming Dictionary, it's like you can you can draw the line very, very clearly. So. Yeah, I've like dug into the Schwarzenbach discography completely wrong. And then like mm-hmm. Forgetters was like in there somewhere and I I really liked that record. It was kind of like gothic and weird. Um and yeah, like my experience with with 
his music and, and the people who have made music with him has been very kind of scattershot. Uh, yeah. But it's been cool to get into it that way because I didn't have any preconceived notions of what it was supposed to be going into it, you know? Like, mm-hmm. I didn't have the same storyline of, oh, I was, you know, really into punk rock and I loved Jawbreaker so much and then he did Jets to Brazil and he was, like, experimenting with all of these, like, you know, pop formula writing techniques. It was just like, I just got to hear them as songs and being like, wow, this dude has a lot to say. And he's, yeah. very, he's very good at saying it. Yeah, I, well, at the song from, I believe the song you were talking about on Dear You is Unlisted. Uh, that's yeah. the final track on it. Um, but similar way with getting into Just Brazil for me, I, I feel like I had people in my ear growing up that told me like, you know, Jawbreaker were sellouts or whatever, you know, it was, yeah. but also I didn't really have any friends maybe because of that, that were like actively listening to Jawbreaker because like a reoccurring theme and it's kind of obvious. It's like a lot of times you just get into the things that, you know, your friends have available at, at a certain age, like before, you know, kind of the internet and, and the way that it exists now. It's even like with file sharing and media fire as it was years ago, it was like, you might get something from your friend's iPod, but you know, it's, it's still like you're passing along to your friends, you yeah. know? So with that, it's like, I never had anyone as a kid being like, you should listen to Jawbreaker. So I just didn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah I, yeah. I like, I missed it too. I didn't really start listening to them until I was in my, in my like mid mid twenties probably. And like, didn't really even do like deep dives on the records until later on. And in fact, like kind of recently within like the last couple years, um, I did get to see them in 2019. I want to say here in Philly when they came through. Mm -hmm. Um, and I really enjoyed the show. It was super fucking cool to to see this legendary band do their thing. And all of the, the shows that they just announced, having like the Lemonheads play it's a That's shame wild. about rain full yeah. and like they got lucero and built the spill and dillinger four and the smoking popes and like all of these really really wonderful bands like lining up to do special stuff with them it is it is super cool to see and i hope i can make one of those shows yeah that's it's actually what kissed the bottle uh the lucero version is how yeah. i was first introduced to jawbreaker I forgot and even early that. on yeah even early on i just thought it was a lucero song you yeah. know and then i kind of you know dug more it's, into it the sentiment know. i kiss the bottle i should have been kissing you is a very very lucero-esque sentiment yeah. too like ben nichols could have written that lyric for sure yeah it doesn't sound you know like some when you when a band like plays a cover a lot of times you're like oh this is obviously not one of their songs but it's like yeah you could it it just sounds like a Lucero song. Uh, but yeah, from getting into Jets to Brazil, it got me to kind of go back. Cause even when I had friends that were listening to Jawbreaker a lot, I, it just like didn't click something about Jets to Brazil just feeling exactly right. It like, really did first, feel right. <laughs> yeah. Everything and was what I This record in wanted. particular. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, my, my, my my now wife, she bought Four Corner Night for like three dollars on vinyl, uh, like years and ago. And that's the weird one. That, yeah, I, that I find is like, you know, they're they're all weird in their own way. I feel like that is sort of the outlier for me. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but that's a good find three dollar find is pretty good yeah it's pretty crazy but it's weirdly enough i feel like where my mind uh where i gravitate to is four corner night and that's kind of strange there's even like the song on the that record like the album ends with him introducing the band and it's built into the song so it's it's like (laughs) i love it um but and so for some reason I think because of like how long perfecting loneliness is I had it always is such is, a <laughs> long record. But I will say like having to listen to it kind of for this process and re-listen yeah. it feels a lot shorter than when I just look at oh this record 67 minutes and 49 seconds. It is it is so long. <laughs> it goes down pretty smooth but yes it is very long. Yeah, and I think that you know I don't I don't necessarily know if I want to get into like criticism of it but like it does meander quite a bit. The songs have 3 and 4 verses and things like that and like Blake is clearly a fantastic writer and mm-hmm. you know there's there's that like Leonard Cohen school of thought where it's like you know he wrote like 80 verses to Hallelujah or something yeah. like that and then you know you know whittled them down to like his favorite five or six or however many are in that song i don't know but you know to me these songs go on for a long time and there are obvious places in a number of them where i'm like that's where i would end the song and then it keeps going there's another instrumental passage and then another theme from the earlier in the song comes back and you're like oh, I guess he had more to say. Um, Mm -hmm. And sometimes I think there's like a really beautiful payoff. Um, You know, I think that it's especially in a song like Lucky Charm, like, yeah, drag it out, man. Go for it for sure. Uh, But yeah, looking at the, I, I like, I have the track list pulled up here and the shortest song on it is track 10 of 12 William Tell override and it's still four minutes long and if you remove that and wish list you're looking at an average length of around five the opener is six minutes 14 seconds the closer's nine and a half immediately preceded by a six and a half minute song like they these songs stretch out and they're they're like all right we're just you know make some room (laughs) yeah i think that what they do well with it is like when you were mentioning like the since it has instrumental passages and also like a verse that'll go into a new thought it doesn't feel like like i always reference like sunday day real estate diary does this thing it's like a metallica thing where they just it's like the song is over and they just repeat it you know and uh but with just brazil it feels like it's like going on enough of a journey that i feel like i can let it go on a ride like you would kind of expect like i mean any kind of long uh dinosaur jr does it a lot like sure it's like if dinosaur jr gets into like an eight minute song as long as it kind of goes somewhere and built the spill does a thing like if it's going somewhere different then i'm yeah. i'm cool all the way through i uh, do hear a lot of built to spill in in songs like the frequency like the opener or something Mm -hmm. like that you know there's some really like kind of awesome semi-dissonant guitar stuff yeah um which to me is so funny because you can have a song like the frequency or 
disgrace or something like that. And then you could put that up against a song like Cat Heaven, which is just like this beautiful piano pop song. And you're yeah. like, there's no way that this is the same band, but it's the same band and it's on the same record. And I think, you know, both approaches are pretty effective. I think they can rub up against each other a little bit. Um, but I also think that, you know, the the beauty and the 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 ugliness i guess the dissonance is sort of like what powers this band a little bit mm -hmm. um i've always been partial to the more minimal major key songs in the discography like i you know i really like sweet avenue i really like sea anemone i like things like that and yeah. so which is why i come back to a song like uh, Wish List, for example, which is my favorite Jets to Brazil song. I think it's a perfect piece of pop songwriting. <laughs> yeah, those like simple guitar lines, uh, you know, those kind of leady parts in the song are just yeah, so like, infectious. Just single note, chimey stuff. Yeah. Just really, really well thought out. Because it's, you know, it's deceptively hard to write stuff like that, yeah. you know, and, and to make it stick, you know. It's... Uh, even Wishlist has that last verse, the, the some people say I'm corny or I'm morbid, and I'm always like, all right, you maybe didn't need another verse there, but that's also fine. Um what I so here here's something that I want to bring up if we can if we can veer off for a little bit. Oh, totally. He he writes about writing. Yeah. <laughs> like a lot. Like a mm -hmm. lot. Like you have the frequency which is like um, when the measure of your worth is the measure of your work, then you better make it work. Uh, and then you yeah. have wish list, uh, which, you know, some people say I'm corny or I'm morbid. I always thought I was touching. I was tragic. One man's magic is another's plastic. Just, you know, it's essentially him admitting that he knows that he's not going to be like everybody's cup of tea or something like mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I it's very, very, very self-aware. And he's like, you know, sort of existing in his own mythology a little bit, which I really, really like. Um, and I feel like, you know, there are maybe some tie-ins to prior records and things like that. But I really do like a band with like a bit of a self-contained mythology. You know, mm -hmm. I, I find that that is like, a really fun thing to dive into. Like when a character comes up on another record, like the weaker thens do this a lot with the Virtute series. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I don't know if there's anything as overt in the jets catalog. Um, but I do feel like it is a world in which when entered, it can really pay a lot of dividends. If you really like dig into the lyrics and stuff. When people write about writing, I've I feel like I've been told a lot of times that that's just like a no no. You know, it's like the same it's, thing as like writing about being on tour. It's like I'm on the road with yeah. my friends. It's just I I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I've heard this one before. I don't know if I need to hear it again. But I also think that it's like we have cliches because for a reason. It's like for a reason. It's like you want to give people things that they feel familiar with, and then you you 
want to go in those territories and kind of like try and turn it on its head. And I feel like that's what he does. Like when you look at four corner night, when he's introducing his band, that is not something anyone should do. That's like, that's almost like a joke. I love it. I love (laughs) it. And I know you're not supposed to love it. And I totally love it. Yeah. But that's like a weird thing about getting to an age where it's like you start almost embracing those cliches. Like a lot of our, or a lot of my friends, I should say, probably a lot of your friends too. Actually, I think a lot our of your friends. direct bandmates, yeah, our friends, um, like, for instance, like, I have friends that uh, have started, like, country bands, and I was in an alt-country band, so I understand all of those kind of things that people kind of put into their performances. Wouldn't like, know anything about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's, I feel like I get to an age where I, I, when I was in an alt country band like 10 years ago, I was, you know, a lot younger. So I, I hated those things, you know, but now I've gotten to an age where they feel like almost like comforting these things yes. that I, I, I despised, you know, so I wonder if, lyrical <laughs> themes of, yeah. of like travel and love and, and heartbreak and, you know, these, these themes are universal. I get it. He's just very, very vivid and like flowery with his lyrics and clearly loves prose. And, yeah. you know, it's just, um, his, his approach is, you can tell he really loves and relishes the act of writing. Like there, I was talking about wish list. I was talking about the frequency. There's another moment in Lucky Charm, towards the end of the song, uh, where I think he and his his former partner have kind of like run into each other or something like that, and the mm-hmm. whole line is like, "Hey, how's your summer going? It's good to see you again." And then it's he's sort of like making a mental note to himself, and it's like, "I'm I'm gonna make a record so I never forget what it was I wrecked," <laughs> and. You know, that that's like at least the third song on this record that talks about writing this record. And I and I suppose perfecting loneliness in itself could be a nod to just like processing a relationship and making a record about it. Yeah. That there I remember like one of the first kind of like when you're developing your own identity, one of the first like authors that I really got into was Kurt Vonnegut. So I feel like there's certain things with Schwarzenbach's writing where it's that it's very, very serious, but also it's like he's able to like kind of make himself the butt of the joke in a way. He's that, very self-aware, you know, for sure. Yeah. And so it's they, kind of going back to, I guess, like I was saying, like it's comforting. It reminds me of that type of writing, like making yourself a character in your own writing. Yes. Like feels like fun. And I know that it's like a, almost like a trope that's overdone, but it's just like sometimes it's like oh well what if you're you know people tell you like don't you know oh don't cover like angels from montgomery you know there's certain kind of rules that you know can you not cover that song (laughs) that's the what's people say it i've heard people say it all the time and then it's like so that's a prine song and then who whose version got famous was it bonnie Raitt? i think bonnie Raitt. yeah okay yeah 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 depending on the kind of networks you travel in that's what's a funny thing. It's like we have these like unsaid things that are like things that you shouldn't do in like writing or like don't. It's like I remember we had a rule in my current band, it, but it was a personal rule of like don't wear shorts on stage. Uh, you, know? <laughs> you know, I heard that from Ted Leo. I, yeah. I 
in some Ted Leo interview I, I really liked. And then I thought it was so funny because like yeah. I, I rocked shorts on stage for years and years and years. And I've done I, it so many yeah. times, even though we've said it internally, I've broken my own quote unquote rule. I broke it in Charlotte at, <laughs> at lunchbox records because we played there when it was like 95 degrees or something like Makes that. Makes sense. It was my birthday, and I was like, well, I'm going to play in shorts for my birthday. It's too hot to do this otherwise. Uh, but I won't do it anymore. I like. Well, that's what that's what makes me, th- when I'm thinking even about If you're a like drummer, this, you're allowed to do it. <laughs> yeah, you're allowed to do whatever. You know, um, I think it's we're, the jury's still out about like, uh, drummers not taking their shirts on or off. I think we're leaning more toward the don't take your shirt off now. But it used to be if you were a drummer like 10 years ago, your shirt was always off. It felt like. Yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> I, I can't say, yeah, I guess Steve used to play shirtless a lot more. Now he just sort of plays in like a Travis Barker kind of thing. Yeah. You know, like a cutoff, cutoff situation. It's just funny to think of like these rules and it even it goes back to like Jets Brazil like existing as a band. Like I feel like people have told me that like they're not as good as Jawbreaker. And it's like who who started these like things that become like these messages that are the kind of like dear you is bad. Yeah. You know, and, and now, I feel like a younger generation are like fuck that and that's great. You know, it, but it's a. It might be my favorite Jawbreaker. Record. I think it easily is my favorite. I think it's the, mo- the most fully realized one. He, he's better at singing on that than any other. It sounds better than any of the other ones. It's the one uh, that sounds more like Jets to Brazil. Yeah, it's very true. <laughs> Have you ever watched any Jets to Brazil live videos? Like when they Some, were yeah. a band. Yeah. I saw one where they opened with Sweet Avenue. I think it was in Washington, D.C., and Blake comes out on stage, and they're all in, like, like almost like priest outfits. And oh, he's great. like, welcome to the Brotherhood of Brazil or something like that. Uh, and then he's like, this is the first, uh, f- the first psalm in our hymn book or something like that. It's called Sweet Avenue. And they started, and I was like, man, that... I like a bit. Yeah. I like when people lean into a bit. And I seeing him lean into a bit and like, you know, kind of doing it a little tongue in cheek, I really I really appreciate it a lot. Uh yeah. would have been a cool band to see. Wonder if they'll ever play shows again. I would I feel like the thing I always it's kinda just the edgy part of me, I guess. Like every time anyone mentions something about like Jawbreaker reunion and stuff, I'm like, you know, I'd prefer a Jess Brazil reunion, you know. <laughs> Um, it's like monetarily, I understand why it's jawbreaker, sure, you know, sure, but sure. you know, but it easily for me is the more favored band for it. Uh, you know, I don't even really, I just wanted to state that in the open. I don't even have a real good point about I'm it. I'm right there with you. <laughs> I, li- I like jawbreaker. I yeah. love jets. I, yeah, I like them. They, nothing, nothing jawbreaker does like makes me upset. You know, no, like I like it all. Yeah. Um, so I, I want to get into a couple like specifics here. Um, sure. Do you, do you have any favorites from this record? Uh, it's a hard question. Probably Autumn Walker. You know, that's one of my favorites too. Yeah. Why do you like that song? I I like the songs that they kind of like 
chill out a little stretch bit more. out like, on stretch a little it bit. out you know kind of feel it out because it's like i don't need them to be a punk band i don't need I them the to be a way. replacement for a i don't really need anything to be a punk band nowadays but that's the token <laughs> of getting older but it's like there's too much yeah it, it, but it's like when i'm writing songs i'm already doing it but i'll get back to the you know no, it feels fine. like it feels like it's like there is this nagging thing in my head that like tells me something needs to be loud and abrasive and i know i won't fully be able to ever like turn it off but it's like i feel like that feeling of when i'm listening to just brazil it's like and weaker thans are the same way i just admire the space it's just like if I could ever get to the point where I'm just letting things breathe and not yes. overplaying them and kind of like having to prove in every second like all you the make notes, each you know? syllable, <laughs> you make each chord count, and yeah, the I think just like showing tasteful restraint, and I give a lot of credit to the band here. Um, I know that I think they they were definitely recording as a four piece by this point. I know that they did orange rhyming as as kind of a three-piece but i think jay robbins was playing on a lot of it too uh and then they were playing shows as a trio i want to say at this point they were touring on this record as a five-piece band and blake Mm. was jumping back and forth between guitar and piano and you know there's so much like synth on this record and mellotron and you know like kind of beatlesy arrangements and some really clever chord choices, you know. I I listened to the end of Wishlist with that descending riff that like I hear that and I'm like, that could end a Beatles song like that. It's mm-hmm. it's just like really really s- smart pop songwriting and um, you know, I give them a lot of credit for like coming where they from where they did being like oh we play in we played in Jawbreaker we played in Texas is the reason and like what was someone from Quicksand was in this band I think or uh, something from, like from so the kind of members of the band uh well you know we know where Blake came from but sure. Jeremy that played bass uh right before it almost like lapping over at the very end of it I played like sang in that band Handsome which okay. is like a a heavier kind of post hardcore band Mm-hmm. you know that's in like kind of quicksand territory but you know um and so that's kind of strange and also jeremy played in this band called iceburn which was like a revelation records hardcore band that kind of became like a uh, iceburn they became iceburn collective and there was a point where they were basically touring with like two drummers two bassists and became this weird like post-hardcore jazz i like thing. it i like <laughs> it it's really weird um so so even just to think of like being Iceburn Collective at that end, because that's the point he was in, and then being in Handsome, and then being in Just Brazil, it's like, to give him, like, like, Jeremy deserves so much props for, like, going to so many bands that are, like, pretty different And his bass lines throughout Jets, really, but especially on this record, are fantastic. They meander in, like, really creative ways, but I don't mean meander in, like, a negative way. I just mean, like, they they take you places. And he's not afraid to kind of, like, you know, take a more melodic role as a bass player, which generally I'm pretty wary of, but he does a great, great job on this stuff, too. And, like, his, his entrances with the drum fills and just, like, a really, like 
creative, fun, kind of like pulsating rhythm section in their own way. And like, they're very, very locked in, in the, in the kick and bass patterns. And they're really good at giving Blake space to do his thing. Um, you know, especially in that, like kind of midpoint on the record, I would say like lucky charm through further North is like my, the sweet spot for me. I want to say, Mm-hmm. Um, because the first four songs kind of bounce around so much. You have this like dissonant rocking opener as the frequency. Then you have this like pitch for perfect pop song. You're the one I want, which has a, a great, great, great chord progression. Um, and you have this like bouncy mellow piano thing in the three slot. And you, you have this other like minor key distorted title track. And then I feel like the album sort of like finds its footing a little bit once it hits that like Lucky Charm wish list area. Um, Autumn Walker was probably my favorite song on this for a really, really long time. And I think it was just, I got stuck on that lyric, uh, more miles than my car's got on it. That's pretty far. Like it's just, it was just really funny. Just like, oh yeah, I bet, bet his car does have a lot of miles on it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's probably, it's probably true. He's probably been driving around a lot. Uh, yeah, I I just feel like that's that's the sort of sweet spot of the record. I think where I tend to get a little lost is after further north, where I get to William Tell Override, and it feels like that couldn't have been an, a song that was written for this record. You know, mm-hmm. it feels like something that would have been much more at home on uh, either of the prior two albums, but particularly Orange Rhyming. And then Disgrace, I feel like, would have been a much better, like, seven-inch song or compilation song. And I know that those were pretty pretty big at that point. Um, yeah. I kind of wish compilations existed more now, but now everything's on a fucking playlist. So do, you remember how, do you remember how mad people were, like, in 2020 about everyone doing compilations did you was that was that that a thing were people angry people were angry angry about everything in 2020 when it's like you don't have to listen to compilation you don't have to listen to it if it exists because it's being uh presented doesn't really do anything to you i don't know what the if you don't want to listen to a band that stuck at home's cover of like Blink One Eighty Two, then just don't do it. You know, like it oh, didn't like right. make me mad. There was that yeah. compilation where it was like twenty bands covering "Damn It" or something like that. Yeah, was I mean, that what it was? Funny, you know? Yeah, it was. It was pretty funny. Yeah, um, but but yeah, like I, I wish that compilation and splits. I feel like because especially I used to now, find out about a lot of bands through stuff like that. Yeah, I like I get that they're not like economically feasible with vinyl, but nothing is. So it's Being like in a band you know, isn't economically feasible. <laughs> yeah, it's like not to get into it too soon, but like you did that project with Gordon. Yes, and uh, maybe it's just I do. Do physical copies of that exist? No, and we decided not to do it because we were like, okay, we're going to each write a couple songs and go to a studio and record them and have a nice experience for ourselves, and that is the experience that we're going That's to great. gift ourselves, and we're going to put it out, and we're not going to try to make any money from it, and we're not going to like sit around with a bunch of back stock of this stuff. It was very much just like a we're doing this 
to do it. And I feel like that is where, for me, most of the joy of being a musician exists because it's certainly not to make money and it's certainly not to play to a ton of people, especially now. So when you strip those things away, you have to sort of just drill down to the to the core of why you're doing the thing, which is I do this because I like it and it makes me feel good. And I, and what else do you need really? I'm glad you said the thing that I, I feared that I would say on an every past, uh, every past like five episodes. I feel like I've said that exact statement. So uh, I'll leave it in because you said it. That's um, fine. So, <laughs> Cause I felt like I was like, that was one of the things I told you before where I was like, I feel like I've said it too much where it almost starts being like, I push like a therapy on you, but it's so true. It's like, it is true. You, you, when I, it's like right before like COVID happened, it's like I canceled like a European tour or like, you know, when it was like, Oh, I don't yeah. know when I'll tour again, blah, 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 all that stuff. And it really truly got to the point of like, why do I do this at all? And the only thing was, and now I'm repeating myself that it was like, just that thing you said, you know, it's just like uh, because of the experience of like writing the songs and but I guess to the tangent we went off of, that's why I'm saying that bands should just do splits. Just put it up digitally. Just have fun with it, because there's really no other point to be doing anything right now except for no. like an expression and kind of communicating in a way with your friends. You know, it's and the only point. I do agree with you. I also think that to call myself on my own bullshit I've I've been I think luckier the last couple years in that people have continued to at least like listen to stuff that I've made um and that's an interesting spot to be in because for a large chunk of my 20s I was just like I'm going to put this out and I have no idea if people are going to hear it or not um and then you know we've been able to do things like go to fest and play a bigger stage and people know the songs and stuff. So I do want to call myself on my own shit. Like I've experienced a certain amount of people knowing the songs and singing them along, singing along with them and stuff like that. And I guess I did a bunch of touring and played to no one and flew to Europe and played to no one and drove to California a few times and played to nobody. And like, I definitely did my own fair share of eating shit. But, uh, now like, I guess it's a little different, but at the same time I played a show in 2019 here in Philly on a Saturday night at my favorite venue and six people came. So, like, I'm very capable of still eating shit. <laughs> and yeah. I think that's important to remember is that, and this is actually something that Gordon and I come back to a lot. Um, for anybody listening, uh, it's my friend Gordon Phillips. He plays at a band called Down Hall out of Richmond, Virginia. And uh, he also has an episode on this podcast where they talk about Against Me's New Wave, and it is cool. Um, but he and I talk all the time where it's just like, no one's asking you to be in a fucking band. No one is asking you to do this. You don't deserve anything. You aren't owed an audience. You aren't owed anything at all. You have to do it because you like doing it. And being salty that you don't get something, that you don't get the tour or the label or anything like that, it's just like, no, no one's asking you. No one's asking yeah. you to do this. We're not 
essential workers. <laughs> yeah. We're we're doing this because we have something to get out of our heads and something to process or just because it's how we have fun. And like, you know, until it turns into a career, it's not. Yeah. And uh I don't know, I just I have to keep it in perspective and it doesn't mean that you can't take it seriously and I I think that you know, circling back to to this record like it's clear that Blake does take writing very seriously like as as a noble pursuit I would say yeah um, but you know at the same time I think it's it's peppered with a healthy dose of of self-effacing self what is it self-efficacy self-effacingness I think self Facing, I guess, depending Self on how you use it. In, yeah, use yeah. It, yeah, use it in a sentence. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure, sure. Um, um, I, I think like what you were kind of saying to get us back into it. So, kind of like after further north, I guess essentially you're saying like you would. What would you cut from the record if you had to? Who? Great question. Um, I've thought about this. I've thought a lot about this. It's tough. So I like the frequency. I honestly think that you could start the record with you're the one I want. I think you could start I, I it. Think, I, I think, think almost like a, a artist trick. I feel like every Bob Mould record, the actual better song is the second song. Because yeah. I feel like the idea a lot of times is like you put maybe your strongest song first, or mm-hmm. you know. But I, th- I, I like, I like the notion that when people don't start on their, their stronger song, because I think so. I guess I'm saying I would keep the frequency because I like that introduction. That sort of like you're either in or you're out. It's sure. like you're goading people. You know, like this is like also a point that I just started to formulate right now and even hearing it back i'm not sure if i agree with it well anymore. this well this viewpoint is why probably no one likes my bands you know <laughs> because because i feel like that idea of wanting to challenge people that are going to like they want to buy your record but even though they are supporter you're like okay motherfucker like it's like that combativeness is probably <laughs> you know like why i am where i am in every facet of my life but so i don't think i would say uh don't take my advice on it but i like it when people do it on their records because i feel like it really like separates people like if you're not in on first track people might turn off a record sure you know so i like that about it sure sure i i'm i'm right there with you um i think man it's tough um, I would cut disgrace off the end. Um, okay. I just don't think it belongs on the record. It's six minutes that didn't need to be there. Uh, and I don't think thematically, I think it's thematically it's a, it's about like, just like constant proliferation of like negative media. I, I think to me, it seems it doesn't really feel like it belongs at all to me. I mean, yeah. maybe it's like, you know, a metaphor that i'm not getting because blake's Rosenbach is much smarter than i am but uh i don't think i would put that one on here i also don't think i would i think i would just ditch william tell and disgrace and like because that would be like a sick seven inch or like sick two songs to like put on a split or something like that um and then you know rocket boy is tricky because i love that it stretches out 
so much. I don't know if I would have made it nine minutes long, but also you got to respect the hustle of being like, I'm going to end this sprawling record with a a nine minute and 33 second, like slow burn piano and acoustic ballad. And there's nothing you can fucking do about it at all. Like I, I do, I do respect it. I think it was the best choice for them because I think yeah. that that song is perfect. I felt like I was actually going to come into the conversation and be like, I wouldn't cut anything. The record is perfect as it is. But now that I'm kind of thinking about that kind of sweet, I feel like there is definitely like a, it, it's almost a point where I'm like, oh, this record's long at William Tell override. And so yeah. I would cut, I would cut William Tell and Disgrace and keep everything else the same. Because I don't know what that cuts like ten minutes off the record and yeah, you know that's it's still a long record. I yeah. think you'd have to play with the track list a little bit at that point because with William Tell and Disgrace gone, which are two of the more like distorted, more upbeat songs, you would probably want to kind of think about how the pacing goes a little bit because I think going from like psalm to autumn walker to further north to rocket boy you kind of have like this like deeply mid-tempo like you know all kind of existing in the same same zone uh so you know maybe you end up putting wish list a little bit later or you know you kick the frequency back a little bit or something like that i love sequencing records i think it is like the best part of doing it like once you get a bunch of songs together and you're like, oh, well, what if we did this one into this one or like these two are in the same key? Like what, if, you know, what if there's like a transition between them or something like that? Um, so I don't know. I would have to, it's like, you know, you got to put it together like a puzzle or something like that. But at the same time, at the same time, do we really need to cut any of these songs? Like yeah. this is kind of an opus and, yeah. and like, you know, it's still better than anything I can fucking do. So I guess if we're here to criticize, then we can criticize. But like, you know, maybe having William Tell and Disgrace on the back half was like a very, very conscious thing. Just being like, look, we made a pop record. We can also still do this shit, Um, you know, which sort of harkens back to a lot of the stuff on Orange Rhyming Dictionary, Um, which now... I, th- I wanted to talk about this record because I think it is an interesting record to talk about. But I think that my favorite one has gone from being Perfecting Loneliness to Orange Rhyming. And uh-huh. that is a weird place to be at because I fell really, really deep into an obsession with it uh, last year. Like got so, so far down into the rabbit hole of that record. And just like Chinatown and Lemon Yellow Black and... Um, Oh, what's the fourth song on that one? Star Configurations. That's that's. Uh, I read an interview with the bass player, and he was like, "That's the secret hit on that record." And I was like, "Yeah, it is. That song rocks." Uh, so I have sort of pivoted back to that one as I think my favorite. Um, yeah, it's but, also a record that is fifty-two minutes long, and that's you know? long. But that's yeah. that's like. That goes by in a blink compared to uh, compared to perfecting loneliness. Like sixty seven minutes. I mean, that's that's a made for TV movie at yeah. that point. Yeah, you know, that's yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot. 
you know what I would have done re- going back to um, editing the track list is that I think that I would have just like tried to figure out how to make each song the best version of itself at like three minutes, like three ah. or four minutes, you know, versus like letting a ton of like, you know, you let some of them drag out. Like, yeah, sure. Let Rocket Boy be nine. But like, I don't know. Do you do you need the two minute piano outros on some of these? Like, could you have bumped the tempos up some? Sure. Maybe. I, I don't know. I think maybe just as like an exercise. I th- what I think I'll do is re-record the whole album. <laughs> <laughs> That's do a, good a terrible idea. job. Piss everybody yeah. off. <laughs> yeah. Just to like prove some point that like really maybe one person will be like, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just like one, one like random person on Twitter is just like, hey, that was cool. I'm like, I worked on this for months. <laughs> yeah, it feels like there's the uh, story of like Topher Grace re-edited all of the Lord of the Rings movies into like one movie. No shit. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. And it's like, why? But then I guess why not? I, uh, man... Or, or like, uh, how people, like, resequence the Star Wars, uh, I want to say trilogy, but now I would just say series, you know, where it's, like, you you drop the first one with all the pod racing, and then, like, I guess you start it with episode three, and then, I don't know, there's some, some kind of, like, fan fan fiction sort of like reimagining thing but also maybe i've just been watching book of boba fett lately and i got star wars on the brain yeah well it it, when i when we do the game of like what would you cut it does start feeling like fantasy football in a way have you done what would you cut on on other episodes of of this podcast i i bring it up every like if i feel like there is a oftentimes there is like a clear one and it's not it didn't feel clear until, you know, you kind of started expressing it in that way. Because like I mentioned, I would have just, I would have said nothing. Yeah. You know, but I, I've done it, like I've done it like a few episodes where uh, kind of it's, because also I think it like catches people off guard and also mm-hmm. they they have to almost, they get uneasy in a way that they're, it's like they're going to get in trouble for it. I, so it's kind I'm of like fun. thinking like, oh man, what if Blake <laughs> listens to this and he's like, well, those William Tell Override and Disgrace are my two favorite songs. Like, Fuck you. Fuck this. Yeah. Guy. But, but it's like, also like we have yeah. no, it's like we can't, you know, <laughs> it's not like we have like a Thanos snap thing that takes it off of existence. So it's such <laughs> a, it's such a like fictional thing that doesn't matter. And also like, you know, if it needs to be said, which I don't think it does. It's like they're great songs. I think it they actually are. would be cool to think of them existing on other formats. Like, you know, because Jade Tree did a lot of like really cool splits that were like amazingly designed. So to kind of think about that existing, and I guess in a way it gets to capitalism, I'm like, oh, I could have owned that. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and, and <laughs> on that there's, format. There's this something that I'm just formulating right now. Like, I'm looking at the track list and I'm like, okay, you have like the pretty songs and you have the like rocking songs. So you have the frequency, uh, William Tell, Disgrace, I guess the title track, Perfecting Loneliness, which is actually, I don't love that song. Like I think that it's- It doesn't doesn't stick to me. Every time I try and think about it, I have to like think kind of hard. 
Yeah, it, it didn't really like hit me all that hard. So you got four or five songs on this record that are like rockers, and a lot of them are like minor key or dissonant. And then you have like You're the One I Want, Cat Heaven, Lucky Charm, Wishlist, Psalm, Autumn Walker, and Further North, which is like this perfect like pop suite, you know? And you hear like the Beatles and the Lemonheads and all this like really like sugary goodness and it's just like you know sometimes it just sounds like two bands and it's kind of awesome that all of that exists you know together in this one place um you know in the same way that some of the weaker thans records will bop around from like very like upbeat pop punk stuff to like really twangy like six eight alt country shit with like pedal steel and stuff like that I think that the thing that makes maybe a weaker than this record feel a little more cohesive to me than something like this is that I don't think the sounds are so disparate mm-hmm. where Blake is either like really pissed or he's like kind of like wounded and sweet. Like his delivery is very, very, very different. And the chord progressions, um, you know, just using like dissonant or diminished or descending chords and chord progressions versus like you know very standard like one four five basic pop song structure shit is it's all very apparent on this record and i don't know i I like how it jumps around in mood a ton but like you're going on a journey with this one if you're listening to it yeah it makes it kind of have this feeling of when I think about those kind of eras, like we'll say, I guess like Husker Du, since I was mentioning Bob Mould and uh, like Sugar earlier. Um, I was listening to Sugar it, the other day. That Copper Blue record is really cool. Yeah. It, it's like this this moment of time where it's like we understand that we were raised punks. I mean, Lemonheads did the same thing. It's like when you listen to early Lemonheads, I like those eras of bands that are like, we're not going to kind of forsake what we were raised on, but we're going to stretch out. And so this this whole era of, you know, bands like, well, now in the early 2000s, it kind of feels like people that were probably raised on that, you know, a few years younger, kind of doing their own version of it. And I think that's really interesting to kind of, you know, that it's connected to these scenes because, you know, it being on on Jade Tree and whatnot, but it's doing so much more. There's so much that kind of redefining what like, I don't know, like emo or indie rock. I guess that's that's a, also a weird conversation. Like, is this indie rock? Is it emo? Like, does it matter? I don't know if it matters, man. I, I feel like it's <laughs> it's both, and I struggle with genre. I, I hate in, I hate in genre g- in general. Yeah, I I really um, I don't know. Probably because I've been told that I'm in an emo band for the last 14 years, as long as Signals Midwest has existed, and and ever since I heard that, I was like, but we we just formed because we like the Lawrence Arms and Dillinger Four and and like Latterman and and this was just what what came out. I was always like pissed if people called it an emo band or something like that. Yeah. So just there's like, so much stuff that kind of exists. It. It, it's like when you exist in a certain lane, it's like someone just gives you that label, you know? So it's like, yep. I think you're on by... a certain label, you play with other <laughs> bands, you're going to get lumped into it. It is what it is. Um, I, I think it is detrimental to bands. Um, 
I wonder if it was detrimental to Jets of Brazil because I'm certain it was in some yeah, regards. Yeah, because they're not a punk. Like if you, it, I mean, the easy thing is like if you came to it expecting more Jawbreaker, you're not gonna get it in certain ways. You're gonna get flashes of it. Yeah, but you're not. You're not getting. You're not punk, and I'm telling everyone you're you're gonna get something a lot more refined and thought through. Yeah, but like, I wonder too, like. I feel like there's always a time where I'm like, I don't know. I don't hear a ton of people talk about Jester Brazil, but I wouldn't call them like, they're not an unknown band. But the you people know, but who it, love this band really, really love this band. <laughs> do you do you wonder if a lot of like, and I wish I had a better term to put it, but like, let's say like normies or I guess like indie rock people of the time. I wonder if, if they kind of caught on with people like, let's say college radio, but into a more indie side. And so since it's not perceived as being part of like a punk network, or did they do they kind of fall off for quote unquote punks? And I'll explain it in a different way. Like a lot of times when bands get signed to majors, like let's say rival schools, you feel like it doesn't exist within like the punk world. So it doesn't have that sort of subculture like people talking about it. But you could almost say that for a long period of time, rival schools were probably a more popular band because of the fact that they were on island so did just brazil get kind of brought into a world that we just simply don't live in so we don't hear a lot of people talk about it or i'm saying like me personally i guess you know it's a hard thing to parse i think it is a hard thing to parse and it's one of those things where it's like are does it even matter you know no, every know. band is so of a time and some are given great resources and great bandwidth and you know people put money behind them or something like that and sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't for me kind of knowing the arc of this band i don't think they ever hit anywhere close to the heights that jawbreaker did you know there was no nirvana to go out and open for anymore you know like the music was changing this is like you know on the cusp of file sharing and things like that the record industry is about to take a nosedive and like in between all of the chaos at the turn of the millennium you just have this dude who's probably you know blake's probably in what like his late 20s early 30s writing these records and they're yeah. like really beautiful and mature and he's like been through the fucking ringer already being in a band for his entire adult life and it's just sort of this like beautiful little like nugget of a record where it's just like he's taking everything that he's into like you know there's like punk rock rawness and emotion and you know really beautiful sprawling instrumentals and like cool production tricks and just like something that I really do want to give the band credit for is they it this really feels like they're going for it and they're taking everything they have and just like throwing it at these songs and like add that overdub add that harmony add this part see what works see what sticks you know like yeah even though I'm lately more in the idea of like the Tom Petty school of songwriting, which is don't bore us, get to the chorus. 
I'm sort of looking at these songs and I'm like, you've really packed so much thought and feeling into this. And I think that that to me, like the, the density of this record and like the emotional like spectrum that it exists on the sonic spectrum that it exists on is um, to me, what, what kind of makes it special. Yeah. That, that kind of thing. Sometimes like when I think of Tom Petty though, I feel like I'm like, Oh man, I'm, I'm wrong. I need to follow that more. But there's so many things where I have like a foot in foot out and this idea that like, I don't like hard, fast rules with things, you know, like you'll, you'll have people that, you know, are like, oh, well, the bass has to be like this. You know, there's certain things. It's like this is the way that, like, music has to exist forever and ever. You know, when people are like, you know, songs shouldn't go over three minutes, those kind of things, then I'm like, you know, watch me. It's where, where I feel a lot of times in my head. But when you think of Tom Petty, I'm like, oh, maybe. <laughs> maybe, maybe these rules exist for a reason, and clearly he's winning all of them, you know. <laughs> so he, he is the greatest of all time. Yeah, but um, one thing I was kind of thinking is, too, like, both Blake and Jeremy, and you could say Chris, uh, Chris Daly that played drums in his band and previously played in Texas A Reason, they were three people that, I feel like Texas A Reason kind of broke up before they were able to kind of, like, sign to a major, but I feel like but it would have been, been inevitable. Yeah, they, 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 like they had really definitely been their through shit. it. Yeah, yeah. So that's like a weird, that's a unique place to be. And also going from like DGC and then uh, I believe uh, Handsome was on Epic. And so both of them going from that element of like the major label thing into, I guess, back to Jade Tree had to be like really interesting, but also probably like so comforting at that, that point, just kind of like almost to exist in a way I admire the kind of idea of like if you could almost be an anonymous artist that makes a living, you know, oh, because God, the best <laughs> it doesn't be exist like, now. You have to share like every time you take a piss, but it doesn't it used to not work that way. Yeah. But if you think about, you know, I've done like an episode on like Silver Sun Pickups. It's like they're a band that technically probably people would be like, oh, I used to like them, you know, or you could be like, you know, Matthew Sweet. Or any of these people that kind of had these big moments, but of their quote unquote on the other side of it, I feel like is like the better place to be <laughs> a lot of times. So though they're a band that broke up right after this record came out, like I wonder if it was like so much more comfortable of a place to exist in <laughs> than what I would they imagine had been so. I would I would imagine so. I think that uh you know, you you really um you really have to hand it to these guys because they had all been through it already. And they had all toured a bunch and they knew what it takes or they knew what it took to be in a band. And, you know, now like when I put projects together or something like that, like I try to find people who like know the deal, you know, (laughs) a little bit or, or like more, just like well versed in the rhythm of what a creative project is going to be like a band or something like that. And the fact that they had all sort of like played in a bunch of other bands and toured a bunch and like had these crazy experiences with these labels and these big tours and things like that. And we're still like, no, I still want to do it. I still want to do it. 
I still want to like make music and like try to do something that feels honest and cool and and isn't and and like fits into this little niche that makes me feel good. Like I I give them a lot of credit for uh for making something like this and you know for having like a cool body of work and like a good aesthetic. You know like I like all the Jets records for very very different reasons they all uh, all of the art like holds up a lot of that jade tree art like looks really good still in uh hindsight like you know yeah almost 20 years later we are exactly 20 years later and this the album art is amazing right yeah yeah four corner night has the the like weird bird on it weird tall bird (laughs) yeah um yeah and yeah i think the perfecting loneliness has the illustration that it was like taken from a children's book or something, but I always really loved it. And like that sort of like smoky orange and black sunset thing is, is really cool. And it, Mm -hmm. it just like fits, fits the mood in a really nice way. And I like the like super like blocky geometric, uh, or orange rhyming dictionary stuff too, with all the, the words everywhere and uh yeah just aesthetically it's all it's all pretty pleasing i'm glad this band exists they make me feel yeah. good <laughs> yeah if, if you did listen blake and you were upset about our fantasy football segment of cutting your songs please know we are huge fans and <laughs> we are we are very grateful that you existed um i actually i guess now i want to tell a quick story about my instance of playing with forgetters. And um, so early on in the band that I'm still in right now, uh, we had a good year, and it was like the first year of us Which being band is a, this? Because uh, we're in a lot late, of them. I, yeah. Um, so this is Late Bloomer. Um, so Late Bloomer, I think the first year of us being in a band, for some reason, we got like Ceremony, The Men... I don't, you know, and uh, forgetters. I felt like this was all in our first year being in a band. In it's hindsight, a good, good chunk of shows. <laughs> yeah, in hindsight, I wish that it would have been a couple years later because we were very bad <laughs> for a long period of time. Um, and debatably, you know, you know how it goes with being in a band. It takes a long time. But oh, I'm still figuring it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's see. Um, I okay. So there was there was a place outside of Charlotte. Um, in this town called Gastonia, and there was a uh, blacklight mini golf place in this small town that this guy was putting shows on. Um, so in, the place was also owned by Juggalos, and that's not like I'm not making anything up. Say no more, fam. <laughs> and uh, that's just what the place was. So at... Basically, going into the show, we were like, holy shit, we're playing with forgetters. The day of the show, the guy that booked the show was like, can you bring extra PA speakers because they want monitors? And we thought, we were like, I thought you would have figured all of these details out. So we give them these, we find these speakers that we haven't tested or anything. And we plug and chain all of them together with our little knowledge of this PA so one, keep in mind that Forgetters, a band that didn't deserve this, is playing a place where these people are setting it up like it's a DIY show at a Blacklight Mini Golf place. I uh, mean, I like the Blacklight Mini Golf place. Is that BYOB? Is that place BYOB? 
Uh, they they were. They're not. A, they're not a space anymore. I I hope they are still a mini golf black I went, light. I went no to a black light mini golf place in Charlotte in 2016 on my birthday, and it was awesome. That probably was. There's a place kind of near my house on this road called independence that probably was where it was but this was like this is like 30 to 40 minutes outside of charlotte maybe 30 depending on traffic um so it's not in charlotte (laughs) but and so uh we daisy chain all the shit together and then when they start checking it um those monitor speakers are blown oh no and so it's just anything that's hitting back at them it's just bleh, 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 kind of thing. But they were like, well, we prefer to have monitors over not, so we're going to keep these things. And so it's just like, we're like, holy shit. Because this was, if we had given some kind of notice, we would have been able to check these things. So they, they, you know, they're professionals. They're super nice about everything. I have nothing bad to say about them as a band. Um, but at some point during their sets, uh, their set, dealing with these monitors, the fire alarm goes off oh, in the middle. No. <laughs> yeah. And so everyone, you know, files outside. And so we're there. Everyone's outside. You know, all the forgetters are there. And I feel like I'm, like, embarrassed to, like, say anything. Because I feel like I'm, like, you don't deserve this. But I know yeah, that I don't want to be the person that goes. I don't want to make this mythology thing. Uh, and kind of like because he's like pretty down to earth guy like i don't you know i don't i don't want to be like what about jawbreaker you know the thing you're saying or sure hey what about you know it's kind of just but it, it's just like they also i look over at them and they have this look on their face and i know i'm projecting that it felt like we could pack up and just leave now and never we come could back. <laughs> yeah we'll email the guy about like the money we're owed or whatever needs to be done or we won't even let's just get the fuck out of here sure you know this that kind of look where you're like, you know, when you're playing a show and it's a house show and someone's like, you can sleep here too, and you're and, like, uh, yeah, and if someone that house person, they're 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 saying the nicest thing in their head, or like, we made spaghetti for you, and you're like, you look over at your bandmate and you you're like, you know, it's just a look of like, we will get diarrhea kind of thing. That's the <laughs> that I feel like that's the look I caught from them you know it's just like the inner moments of their band oh it happens no one is immune to the bullshit of rock and roll and to think of like you know the kind of like opening for nirvana and then you know that like you were saying like you played to you played it's a good thing because (laughs) i think that like the fact that they were still out there in spite of like having ascended to these heights and like i'm still i still want to be in a band i still want to make stuff i still want to write these weirdo punk songs and go play into people it's like I just I think it's super commendable. So while that sucks, <laughs> I feel I feel for him. And I feel for you for like being being party to it. Uh, you know, I kind of like respect it in a way. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's just like yeah, y'all are still in the shit. It's, it's gnarly <laughs> out here, but I I respect it. Yeah. So, yeah. But okay, so now that my story time is done. Um, so I guess as we wrap up after that story I just told. Uh, <laughs> I liked that story. I like the um, Juggalos part. So, um, so you know, just to kind of, you know, so you play in Signals Midwest. You also play in Timeshares and do your own solo stuff. Um, so I guess just the simple, like, what do you have going up or, you know, what recently came out? 
Um, I recently put out a split with my friend Gordon Phillips, who we talked about earlier. Um, we kind of like wrote and played and sang on each other's songs. Um, Adam from Into It Over It and Sincere Engineer played drums on it. And Ian Farmer from Slaughter Beach Dog and formerly of Modern Baseball played bass. So that's my name dropping there. But yeah. that's a good fucking rhythm section. That's a, that's a great lineup. Um, and I was super happy with how that came out. It's called You Are With Me. It is on all streaming services. We did not make physical media because it is expensive. Um, I guess, yeah, every project I'm in has a record coming out this year, except solo record, which I'm in in the throes of, of writing right now. I've probably got like seven or eight songs for the next one. But um, Signals Midwest has a record coming out Um in April, if all goes to plan, I'm actually like we've we approved test presses a while ago, but they just sent us more to check. So actually, when I get off of this call, I'm gonna go check them out, which is pretty <laughs> okay. cool. Um, yeah. But we have a record coming coming out in April. Um, hopefully, we'll be on tour a bunch if things calm down. I don't really know. Um, we actually made it with Jay Robbins. Uh, who made uh, Perfecting Loneliness with yeah, Jets to yeah. Brazil. And there were like, the master CD of Perfecting Loneliness was like on the shelf as you would like walk into the control room. And I was just like, okay, keep it cool, buddy. Just calm down. This is fine. Uh, and it was really awesome to work with him. He is... You know, he's in his 50s at this point. He's been playing in bands for forever, and he's just so excited and animated and thoughtful about making music and really treated our songs with a lot of care. Um, yeah, so he was super cool to work with. Shout out to Jay. Shout out to Jay Robbins. Shout out to the Jay <laughs> Robbins who I'm talking to right now as well. Um, a lot of good Jay Robbins is in my life, I suppose. My uh, Instagram name is Other Jay Robbins. Is the Other Jay Robbins, which is great. <laughs> Um, he, he's great. I mean, I, I knew Jawbox. I, I like Burning Airlines. I know, I knew his solo records a little bit, but like I hadn't dove in super hard to his discography. Um, you know, I know he's a well-known figure, but he's just, he's just very invested in like making shit good. You know, it, everything he records sounds good. Like, you know, like even to the kind of, I guess, modern era. He's really things. focused on a good energy and, yeah. and like he's, you know, very just respectful of people's abilities and their time and their resources. And, you know, he he was a joy. I, I strongly recommend it if, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, other stuff notwithstanding. Like, I, I understand that, too. Yeah, the, I think sure. so. The last full length that signals did was that 2016 yeah we did that with uh matt jordan and evan weiss in chicago and also adam beck which was um who now plays drums and into it over and sincere engineer he also plays drums and uh helps produce my solo records and stuff and has has been a, a largely instrumental figure in my life both as a musician as a friend um yeah, shout out Adam Beck and, and Type 1 Studios in Chicago. They're great. Um, yeah. And what I think is interesting about, like, like in a way, you know, it's like I've, I've been privy to, like, the whole trajectory all throughout, uh, you know, Signals Midwest. 
But like as you moved from, you know, Ohio to Philly, in a way, I was like, well, I guess that band's done. You know, anyone would assume. But I, I love that you all have stayed active. And I, I love the fact that you all have done EPs. I, I really like Pen that came out. I'm um, super proud of that. that yeah, that came out really, really great. Um, Thank you, man. You know, and also kind of like opened my mind in a way because with playing in bands, it was like we were like no EPs. And it's like, yeah. oh, an EP can be like really strong kind of thing. And, you know, so I'm just saying I really liked Penn. And I, th- you know. I think that's great. I think that we got lucky and the songs turned out really good, you know. And like I wanted it to feel like more of a mini record than an EP. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't yeah. want to be like, all right, let's put four, let's write four songs and put them out. It was like. I want to like see if I can accomplish some stuff thematically here, and that feel that felt really good. I think with the new one, because the new one is like an actual full length; it's ten songs. Mm-hmm. Um, I really wanted to be a punk band again, so okay. yeah, I do doing it with Jay and like you know we recorded all the basic tracks like live to tape, and that was super cool and like just. You know, we left some imperfections in and like, you know, didn't didn't like grid it out quite as hard as as a pin or at this age or anything like that. Um, But I'm I'm super proud of it. Um, Hopefully we can tour on it a bunch, but we'll see. We all work full time and live in different places. So, yeah. And you have that tour. Well, you know, (laughs) given the environment of the world, you have the tour coming up with uh, Wilhelm Scream. That was really awesome. Yeah, I could announced. not believe yeah. that we got that email. I was very surprised. Yeah. We don't know them at all. I think it was we had agreed to play Manchester Punk Festival in England in 2020, and then obviously that didn't happen. And I think what my guess is what happened is that their they or their agent was looking for a support band, and they saw that we were already over there, and maybe they knew the name and and listened to us. And you know, I've been talking to people being like. Well, that's kind of a weird pairing. They're like a hardcore like skate punk band, and I'm like, yeah, but that's like what all of us grew up on, yeah. like listening to. Like one of Steve's favorite bands for a long time was like Strung Out, which is, in my idea, like kind of a, a predecessor to like the Wilhelm Scream kind of like shreddy style of like super melodic skate yeah. punk. But um, those are the best pairings too on yeah. tours too. You know, like it's like something a little different. Yeah. Yeah. If you if you were in Wilhelm Scream and you had to pick would you want to pick another wilhelm screen no you'd want to pick a band that you know changed up the pace a little bit so i'm I'm hoping that that tour happens because who fucking knows at this point but feeling cautiously optimistic about it with case levels going down so we'll see um so yeah signals has a bunch of stuff um timeshares has a record coming out on wiretap records out of california in the summer um, it was actually recorded a few years ago, kind of like right as I was joining the band. Um, but I think it's super cool. And I can say that because I didn't really play on it or help write it. And yeah. uh, they're one of my favorite bands. And I, I am super proud of what we've been able to do. Um, I have a, re- a band with my brother called Meridian that's like more like folk influenced. And we did a lot of touring like 2012 through 2016. And we also have a record that will be out this year that's at the pressing plant. Um, and I'm super proud of that, too. We made that with Ian Farmer here in Philly over the span of the last couple years. Um, and that'll be out on a label called Sleep Recordings, which is run by my friend Matt Arbogast. He has a project called The Gunshy out of Chicago, and they're great. And then... My friend Toby and I have been working on a record. Toby was most recently in the Sidekicks for their Happiness Hours record. Okay, um, yeah. And 
he lived here in Philly for a while. Now he lives in Cleveland, which is where I'm from. And I now live in Philly where he lived for quite a while. And uh, that band's called Orbits. And we're sort of putting together, we've got like eight songs done or so right now. Um, and yeah, so that makes like four records coming out this year. And uh, I'm already very tired. Yeah, it's like so. your Bob Pollard year. <laughs> no, what's happening is that like it just it's just like pinching off a garden hose and then like you let it go and all of this shit just comes flying out. So yeah, I'm just like backlogged with a lot of work and a lot of songs and the way that the supply chain works with pressing records and it everything taking so fucking long now and like all of these things just like finally coming to fruition. Um and, you know, I'm, like, figuring out cover art for all of them because my day <laughs> job is as a graphic designer, art director person, and, you know, just trying to, like, figure out spots so that they're not all, like, overlapping each other. But I don't know. I, I just, I like the idea of really, like, putting the work in and, like, leaving a, a body of work behind for people to yeah. people to dig into. So, I don't know. <laughs> right now it feels good. <laughs> well, before I truly actually let you go... Um, I think what would be really cool about it is they do kind of complement each other. And I think they would have to because you're one person. But when you think about those years where it's like the guy from uh, Baroness did like every album you know, art yeah, that year. Amazing. That's kind of cool to look back on. You know, I think in that year you're like, damn, he does every art, you know. But it's like, or you're like Jacob Bannon. It's like kind of cool to think back. It's like, this is where it all. So, you know, in a way, like, I think that's really neat. Like, you'll be able to put all of that kind of stamp and then probably whatever else your old design that'll come out this year too. You know? Yeah. We'll, we'll see. I don't know. Right now I'm just like, <laughs> I want to go like lay on a beach or something like that. But yeah. Well, where well, can, uh, where can people find you online? Um, easiest place is probably just at Maxwell Stern on all of the, uh, the various social things. And then, yeah, the bands are signals, Midwest timeshares, uh, some of the handles are timeshares music. If you want to listen to the Meridian stuff, that's more like folk influenced. All of that is under Meridian, Ohio. Um, if you want to listen to Orbits, the new band, it's orbitsorbits.bandcamp.com. Um, and yeah, I have a bunch of solo stuff under my own name, Maxwell Stern. Uh, might start another band later this year. Who knows? <laughs> we'll see what happens. Been talking to some people about that. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, for anyone who's made it this far, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for listening. Well, yeah, I appreciate you for taking the time. Thanks for having me, dude. It's good to see you. Welcome back. Thanks again to Max for coming on the pod. and a great time talking about one of my favorite bands. Stay tuned for updates about all of Max's musical projects. That's Signals Midwest, Chime Shares, Meridian, and his recent split with Gordon Phillips, also a previous guest. So much new music coming out. Okay, next week we're talking with Martin Hacker Mullen about The Chariot. Marty plays in Stress Fractures, Clear Body, Dry Rot, and Jail Socks. Honestly, probably a few other projects too that I forgot, so stay tuned for next week's episode. Don't forget to check out our Patreon, that's patreon.com slash spinningoutpod. Follow us on social media, Twitter and Instagram, at SpinningOutPod. Rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Please think about subscribing to the Patreon. Every little bit counts. Thanks, as always, to Sarah Blumenthal for editing the pod and Pretty Maddie for the theme. Okay, see you next week. <laughs>